Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wild Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we practice talking about sex and sharing sex stories in an effort to get over the shitty sex caused by the Madonna whore complex. And instead, we discuss the joys of our inner whores and also Madonnas, which means we try to talk about sex feelings and human words in an effort to improve sex lives everywhere. Our guest today is a 58-year-old Australian cis female She's bisexual, demisexual, sapiosexual, and just, you know, sexual. She feels kink is a pop culture construct that doesn't necessarily fit her sexuality, but neither does vanilla. Some would regard her sexuality as kinky. She's a feminist, artivist, journalist, podcaster, performer, muse from Sydney, Australia. Welcome, Rose Cooper. Hi, Wyo. How are you? I am great. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad. Beautiful sunny spring day in Australia and it's like just after breakfast time. Oh, yes. Amazing. <laughs> yes. And here I'm nearing, I'm approaching early dinner time um, in the fall. <laughs> I had to think about what season it is because my time brain is broken. Can you start mm. off by giving our listeners an overview of your sexual self if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame-a-meter today? 10 being super full of shame, one being shame-free, the most shameless. Where do you fall at this moment? Probably about a 2.5, maybe. Okay. Do you mm, want to expand yeah. on that at all? <laughs> I guess the residual shame that I have is because society is still giving me a hard time about the fact that I'm a woman of a certain age mm. and that I have children. So even though in my life as a journalist and stuff, I've been talking about sex freely for over 25 years sort of thing. There's still that little voice in the back of my head that's sort of saying, oh, how are the kids coping with you being this person? Whereas mm. my mission was always to normalise sexuality 
with my kids and also normalize their mother as a human being. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell us first, what is your sex life like right now? <laughs> I'm making egg shape right now. Yeah. Zero blot donut, non-existent. Oh, except obviously with me. I'm really giving myself a wonderful time at the moment, but Beautiful. apart from apart from that, yeah, it's it's been a slow decline over the last two or three years because I've really got to a point in my life where it's to use a sporting vernacular, go hard or go home. If I'm not getting the kind of sex that I want, and for me, it's a very spiritual experience now. It's a real exchange of energy and care and TLC and it's a holistic experience where I'm screaming at the end <laughs> but still you know it's 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 I don't see the point in giving th that part of myself or receiving that part of myself unless I'm fully into that person yeah okay so you are an experienced journalist and storyteller do you do you have a sense of where you want to start your sexual story I guess I think for the arc, I like to place myself as a communicator about this, the fact that I was always curious. Yeah. I was always sexual, although I didn't understand it as a young person as well, mm -hmm. as most people are. I did go through really low self-esteem as a kid, all the stuff that leads you to either avoid sex or run towards it. I was a run towards kind of person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, me too. Um, so, so yeah, the idea of sex as a young person scared me, but also compelled me at the same time. So I was always, always, always curious. Uh -huh. So I had a lot of interesting, sometimes traumatic, confronting, wonderful slash experiences, all these sort of things as a teenager. Then I got married. I met my first partner at like 18 and it was like a, it felt like a, oh, someone actually loves me kind of thing. So I really went towards that. We broke up. I was in my mid-30s. I was fit, lean, mean, sexual machine. So I had a period of sexuality where I was keeping score. I was ticking my bucket list. I was, you know, like I, you know, I hate to put it like this, but having sex like a man, like mm -hmm. I was really tapping them on his shoulder and asking them to go home because, you know, I've, I've got to get up in the morning or whatever. It was, I wasn't like into cuddling or uh -huh. any of that. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then met my second partner, fell pregnant for the third time unexpectedly. Oh. It was a different story, but we broke up and I'm in my early fifties and I'm like, okay, what's going on now? So all I can say to you is that the three parts of my casual sex life punctuated by two long-term relationships, I feel put me in a unique sort of situation Yeah. in a lot of ways, particularly talking about how men in their 20s and 30s have changed or not changed as sexual partners in all that time because the average age of my partners, if I add them all up, divide them by how many they were, the average age is sort of 28 <laughs> still. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's that's the way it is. And I'm like, I've seen changes. I've seen changes in myself. Mm. I've seen changes in 
the way people look at sex. I've seen a running away from love and sex as things that go together. And now I'm seeing in the media and social media and stuff running towards it again. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah so it's really up to you to ask questions because oh, I, I, have, so, I, have, I could I dive have... in. Yes. I um, could dive okay. in at any point and tell you who I was then and what I was doing <sighs> and why. Which is honestly <laughs> such a juicy gift for those of us who are about to experience you. So I want to hear an overview of your younger years, and I'm going to ask you some specific questions there. But first, can you give our listeners some context for the work that you have done in the world around sex? Yes. Yeah, so it's a cool story because I had no career aspirations as a kid, didn't know, didn't understand um, academia or anything as a kid. I was, I was kind of like expected to grow up, get married, have babies, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I was pregnant with my son that is 30 today, um, I did a correspondence course in writing which led me to starting to submit articles to magazines and stuff. But my partner at the time, my first husband, was a sex addict. And I was really kind of well-trained and my mindset was very, I would call it Stockholm Syndrome, very much viewing myself as a sex object, very much seeing my value as a human being as a sexual being while simultaneously having my own sort of sense of entitlement, like to orgasm and all that sort of stuff. So by the time I got around to writing, I was writing with a lot of attitude that was kind of coloured with, I would call it a male gaze perspective mm -hmm. and a male-minded perspective. And I, like I say, I don't like to gender these things and I don't like to, because this is retrospective. We're talking about nearly 30 years ago that I was doing this and times were different then. And the first things that I wrote about were kind of veiled cries for help. I talked about my partner used to drink and I talked about how to maintain sexual desire in a long-term relationship. And the article I wrote was about how to fantasize about other people. Like there was so much about what I was writing about. Yeah. There was very much I love sex. I'm into sex. Not sure I'm with the right guy, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there, was a, there was a lot of that in there. But I had a really strong sense of what gonzo journalism in it, and that is place yourself in the awkward position, feel the feels and talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have legitimate credentials as a journalist, except as a, I guess, a documentarian of my own existence and putting it out there yeah. and making people laugh at the same time. So I've always sort of done the spoonful of sugar with the shocking information by being funny about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So during that time, I got closer and closer to writing more responsible stuff that was, what is this? Let's unpick it things like people's sexuality and talking more about orgasm, like I say, long-term relationships, how to keep that flame alive. And then I was, my boys, my oldest boys were at the age where they were going to go and have their sex education talk or their reproduction talk at age 12. Mm -hmm. And I remember mine very well and I was, I was, Yes, it's 1997. Let's see how this has changed from 1975 or whenever it was that I had mine. Fucking not much at all. Really? Right? Really? No. <gasps> no. 
It was like boobs, pubes, fallopian tubes <laughs> for girls. Mm-hmm. And hard-ons and nocturnal emissions for boys, wet dreams for boys. And she even had the temerity to add and editorialise on things. Boys, you might occasionally think about Pamela Anderson and this will make you feel great and you might have a wake up in your sheets are wet the next day. Like really, really extrapolating on what might cause this. Wow. Yeah. So me, who had also been having nocturnal orgasms all my life, was thinking, oh, yeah. I'm the parent up the back going, what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to punch her so many times during this talk. She even sort of pointed to pictures of uh, boobs and said, girls, your, your boobs will develop. And this is an average, you know, pair of breasts, what they look like. Mine don't look like that anymore. I've had children. And I, I ended up writing <laughs> I ended up writing to the company that did this person yeah. or had this person and just sort of said, you've got to stop this woman. You might be teaching good things, but you've got to stop this woman. She's editorialising and she's just fucking it up. Yeah. So then I started writing about sex education and I wrote voluminous articles and the magazine that I was writing for most regularly folded, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and I couldn't actually get my point across anywhere else. No one wanted to know about it. And at this point in time, uh, the internet was happening and stuff. And so not long after that, I started blogging and creating my own space, you know, being my own editor, giving myself creative freedom to say all of the things. So that's when I started becoming obsessed with telling people about things about female orgasm that they might not be knowing about. And the only reason I know about it is not because I looked it up in books, it's because I tripped over it over and over and over again in my life. I just accidentally, where the fuck did that orgasm come from? Yes. You know, it was like so many, so many different things happened and I would look and try to research and I would have loved if someone would attach diodes to me and study me scientifically because I'm like, I, I haven't read about this one yet. You know, yeah. why is this happening to me? So so that brings us up to today in that I've never lost that fire for sharing information, but life has gotten in the way quite a few times. So I've had a few hiatuses along the way where I've been raising kids, trying to work and yep. broken hearts and trauma and grief and all the stuff that, that holds you back creatively and work-wise and stuff. So the latest incarnation of me as a sexual crusader has really been this last 12 months where I'm I'm back on the horse. Don't know how long I'm going to be on this horse for a while. I feel like I feel like I want to have a nana nap now <laughs> from it all, but not until I get those those things that I think are important out there. But people like you are are out there. I'm 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 searching wide and I'm looking for the people that I can at least point my radar at and tell people, look, I haven't got the energy, but this person has got the energy and, and <laughs> pointing at other people at the moment. So, yeah. but fuck, I've got a lot of cool stuff to tell you. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> so excited. I want to start by hearing about your very early experiences. Do you remember the first time you heard about sex? <sighs> oh, yeah. It's hard to pinpoint it except to say that it was always there like the wallpaper. But I guess 
I was aware that there was going to be a change in my perspective as a human being at some stage because I was seeing evidence of it in magazines that my dad might have had under the bed and and I might have spent a lot of time under the bed looking at the magazines. And, yeah, I noticed that adults were preoccupied with nudity and and all that sort of stuff and that adults would say things and then apologise for them or say, oops, you know, because there were small people listening or Mm -hmm. whatever. But I guess by the time I got to say maybe eight, nine, ten, that's when me and my cohort at school were kind of obsessed with role-playing games, kissing games, all this sort of stuff, knowing that our hands were supposed to go somewhere on other people's bodies but not necessarily realising that these same things that dangle on the end of our arms are really useful for using on our own body. I, I was clueless, absolutely clueless. Until when? Yeah, I I didn't actually masturbate until after I had my first orgasm, which was with a partner when I was like 17. Mm -hmm. But I used to slide around the bed when I was a kid. It's like the the bed covers and stuff were incidentally giving me a wonderful feeling, but I still didn't really put two and two together. I just would wake wake up in the morning thinking, for some reason, I don't want to get out of bed and I just want to squirm around. And, and I just remember feeling really strong, what I can now recognize as arousal, mm-hmm. probably from, you know, seven, eight, yeah. nine years yeah. of age. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you fooled around with friends a little bit. Did you have siblings yeah. or as you grew older, what was that sort of like non-adult experience like? Well, that's the thing is I am the youngest of six okay. and four, four of them are my sisters, right? Um, so there was always that, you know, my, my future was only a few years ahead of me. So I was seeing, I was getting a, a greatest hits preview <laughs> of boyfriends yeah. and periods and all this sort of stuff that was going to happen to me and seeing it play out. So I guess that's, you. it's kind of like, even though I've always known it, I think that just saying that now makes me realise the reason why I was always reaching forward and, and interested and curious was because I was seeing what was happening and the curiosity and excitement of my sisters as they were looking towards their future and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But what you got to remember too is that Back in these days, like I was born in 1961, so we're talking the end of the 60s when I was uh, prepubescent, mm-hmm. the average marrying age then was like 18, 19, mm-hmm. 20. Mm-hmm. So my eldest sister had already been married by the time I was an infant and stuff. So the sex thing was peripheral to the boyfriend, the love, the thing that's like, yeah, I, I it was very confusing, but, yeah. you know, it's little wonder that we put love and sex together at my generation, particularly more yeah. so than sex and pleasure, yes. because we were always shown the, the holy trinity that, you know, love, sex, marriage were three things went together. And I wasn't even from a religious family, but, you know, having said all that, Wyo, guess what? My mum was completely and utterly stitched up and anti everything to do with sex. And 
body shamed my dad all the time oh. and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, I had I had that to rebel against, which I think gave me more fire for rebelling against it because yeah. I was daddy's girl. I don't know. It's all very Freudian. Don't know how yeah. why, but like I say, it's not exaggeration to say that my intrigue and curiosity would be termed obsession in, you know, or, you know, soft core obsession with it. Always interested. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I really don't think I'm different to most young, curious people until they're told it's not the right thing to be curious and they put it on hold for a few years and then resume when they're old enough. Perhaps. I, I will say one of the top things I hear from people who write to me is, oh my gosh, I'm normal. Other people are just as curious. Other people are just as horny. I'm not the only one. And I know that I certainly feel a great relief and sense of hope and like, a, okay, I'm not crazy just knowing that there are other extremely curious sexual people out there. <laughs> well, stereotypically, women aren't supposed to be. And this is the thing that I've when I first got obsessed with sex ed, I did a, uh, a survey wanting to confirm the things that I believed, and that is that children are sexual beings. Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to prove that was to highlight the importance of teaching children yes. how to recognize what is appropriate yes. behavior between themselves and others and also obviously adults. For me, it was about protect the children, protect the children. Yeah. And knowledge is power. And it's not that difficult to make the information easy mm -hmm. for kids to understand because you say that sticking a, a fork in a PowerPoint is bad, right? So a parent, anybody touching you in a particular place and naming that place is bad, it's all the, it's all you have to tell the kid and they'll run to the nearest adult and say, this yeah. happened, yeah. but we tippy-toe around it. So this was my obsession. Yeah. But that's why predators can groom kids. Exactly. So I, I wanted to drag all this out in the open and say, okay, women, tell me, how old were you when you first started becoming aroused? And yeah. And then I also asked them, if you knew more about sex, when you were a kid, if you knew more, what would you change? What would you do differently? And to my surprise, most of them said, I would have had a better time. Yeah. Not that I would have waited, just that I would have, you know, had, I would have enjoyed myself more. So there was, there's this innate understanding that if our bodies do this, then it, it can't be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned having partnered sex at 17. Was this your first time exploring with a partner? No, <laughs> no. So my first, you would call sexual experience of getting naked was with my best friend in high school. So we were both about 13. Mm -hmm. And so because we've redefined virginity, I can absolutely say I lost my virginity mm. at that time. And nobody needs to know what the details are of that. In my mind, I lost my virginity then. And then uh, when I was 14, I met a boy. We had sex. It was only once. It hurt, but I wanted to have sex. I was curious. But it, because it hurt, it was another three years. I, I, I consciously realized that I needed to wait mm -hmm. until I was ready. 
having said that, I was underdeveloped. I was a very late bloomer. Boys weren't interested in me. Mm-hmm. Like, so as much as I would have wanted, if, if boys were into me, I would have had all the sex from a very young age. But yeah, I was the skinny, ugly duckling sort of scenario. And then when I hit puberty, it happened all at once and I developed this banging bod and suddenly everybody wanted to have sex with me and I thought that was a compliment. Mm. (laughs) But then I realised, you know, retrospectively, it was because you were young and stacked and that's all that you needed to be (laughs) for for people to want to have sex with you. It wasn't a compliment at all. Mm. Yeah, certainly not not necessarily. Could, Could be. But not by yeah. definition. Well, you know what I mean. Self yeah. esteem, self esteem yeah. wise. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I met a boy, fell in love. Penetration was difficult because mm-hmm. I had experienced pain before. So we took a few runs at it and very gently and stuff. And sex was painful probably for the first few weeks. Oh, wow. While I was getting used to it. But I was madly in love and it was just the most wonderful experience. It's You can definitely reframe pain and put quote marks around it mm. when it's that, when it, it means that much to you and it meant so much to me. So, yeah. so yeah, we, we, we had a loving relationship and about um, three months in, I guess, that's when I had my first orgasm. But he knew more about my body at that point than, than I did. Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Was he older, more experienced, or what makes you say that? Well, he was a couple of years older, and I remember we used to work together at a department store. We were have, you know, I would just sort of always meet him at the lunch table. I had a big crush and everything, and he was just—he seemed sophisticated. He was like, I'm 16, nearly 17. He was 19, but he seemed really sophisticated. And he worked in a record department, and he said one day at lunch. Now this is what 1978. He said, oh, this album, and I can't remember what band it was, but he says, oh, we got this album cover. It's amazing. There's this woman on the front, and she's curled up in the fetus position, and she's naked, and then you turn the album over, and you see on the edge of the other side her clit. <laughs> and that was, and I'm like 16 going on 17, and that was the first time I've heard anyone say clit. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I was only really coming to terms with that the fact that I had a clitoris yeah. let alone hearing someone be so urbane about it so yeah. yeah he he had magazines and and stuff and even though my dad had magazines he had penthouse and mm. you know like he had mm-hmm. more things that I could learn from actually we used to sit around with his friends and stuff and and read out penthouse letters to each other for <laughs> for a joke so that was how I learned about things was meeting a boy who read dirty magazines and, and stuff, but he was just, yeah, an average everyday kind of boy. Wow. Yeah. I heard you speak about the feeling aspect of that connection. So looking back at the time, I imagine that you weren't necessarily labeling yourself like demisexual back in 1978, but how do you understand your the journey of your sexuality? I guess because I lived in the generation of P in V being the definition of virginity yeah. and having sex as the definition of being a woman, that I looked at it as somewhat 
might look at at obtaining a gold medal Mm. if they're a swimmer (laughs) or, you know, baking a really good cake or whatever it is achievement-wise, achievement level for the kids playing at home, for the gamers. It was a whole big achievement level for me and that I just remember that moment of penetration hurting as much as it did looking into his eyes and going, I have been able to experience this with you. Mm. Isn't this great? Like it was, it was because, you know, at that age, I thought he was my forever guy because that was my first in love person. So, Yeah. yeah. And did it change for you once you experienced pleasure? Um, insofar as this is one thing I always maintain this is my own theory, and that is that every aspect of sexual experience is an acquired taste, unless it's not. Mm. So I don't think every time you do something sexual for the very first time, particularly things that are invasive, like having penetrative sex, are necessarily going to be pleasurable the first time, whether it's you inserting a finger or an object as a child when you're exploring. It's going to be an unusual thing. Kissing for the first time with tongues. (laughs) It's slimy and weird. And (laughs) and the boys that I kissed early on, they didn't use tongues. They just had this very big wide open mouth and it was... (laughs) It was just lips and saliva all over your face and you're like, how is how are people doing this? Why would they want to do this? You know, it was so interestingly, if I double back a bit, when I lost my virginity, it hurt. I wasn't really prepared yeah. for it except to say we kissed and stuff. Mm. But later, like a couple of hours later, because it happened, we were I was jigging or wagging or cutting school, whatever you call it in America. <laughs> Wait, you guys call it jigging? That's amazing. I know. We called it jigging school when I was a kid. I love that. Uh, Yeah, no, jig that. Not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, so it was at someone's place and I think I lost my virginity in inverted commas at about midday that day to the sounds of Abbey Road playing in the background. Then afterwards we kind of talked about it and about two hours later, whatever, we started kissing. And I remember when he put his hand down to finger me, as we said so delicately then, mm-hmm. um, to finger me, I was a little bit wet. And like I say, I look back at this retrospectively, and I know that it's not only an arousal response, but it's also a safety response getting wet. Mm -hmm. So my body was, even though I was prepubescent, I didn't even have my period then. I was relatively flat chested then. I had no business having sex, even though I wanted to. I was fully consensual. I was probably even my idea. Um, Yeah, that that I, I look back and I go, my body was going, okay, we're doing this now. So when my first love and I started having sex, it wasn't long before intercourse was painful and pleasurable simultaneously mm. and then eventually became pleasurable and not painful. Mm. He was he was well hung, I gotta say. Okay. okay. So, you know, it was like that was something I had to deal with. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh my, what are we gonna do with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't know if I can deal with this. Oh my god. I had all the doubts, all the doubts. Did you share any of those with him? At the time? 
Um, because I never would have been able to as a younger person. Like I don't think it was until I was above twenty five that I could have articulated anything, and even even then. Well, he knew. That's the thing is okay. that because we had difficulty penetrating, and I right. I did tell him that I did it once, and our yeah, so he was very patient, and yeah. and we would. To use the modern vernacular, we're pretty much using his dick as a dilator, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. we're like going a little bit now and then we'll rest and then we'll go on a little bit more and then we'll rest. So we, we took our time about it. Wow. And he always would go to touch me and touch my clitoris and all this sort of stuff. But before I had my first orgasm, any time he touched me there, I it felt really uncomfortable and, and I and annoying even. Oh. I didn't even enjoy it at all. And I know that that's a relatable thing. And I think because it's so sensitive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and my mind and my body hadn't really sorted out what that sensitivity was. And I've come to learn that regardless of how sensitive it is sexually, you still have to get there via taking your time and working your way up to touching it yeah, and make sure you're already pretty much aroused before you touch it in order for it to be pleasurable. So that's, that's your little lesson at home. <laughs> that's beautiful. And I think a lot of people, well, I know that many people don't have the experience. I know that many people with a clitoris don't have the experience of partners taking time necessarily. Yeah, that, well, I'm. Uh, this is very um, something I really like to make a big deal about because, like I say, I'm having before I had my tapering off of sexual experiences, I was fairly sexually active, say, between 2013 and 2016, mm. and I was having sex with people mostly between 15 and 30 years mm. younger than me, mm -hmm. and the point at which they would their hand would want to dive into my pants was ridiculously short for mm. the most part. And I found that guys in the 90s when I was in my 30s had more clue. Really? Their time than guys do now. And I, I, I do blame porn, porn. for that. Yeah, because, yep. mm -hmm. because it's a truncated version of yes. the, the, the money shot more so than the uh, endless wonderful things that you can do to to get yourself there so yes I do have this sense that a lot of partners I know who are very into porn it's sort of like a I know I'm supposed to touch you now and I will do this now so we can check that box and move on and that's yeah and so... not just touch you but yeah go at it like you're trying to get a stain out of a carpet <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it it makes me, it, it would make me hit the roof because when, when I'm, you know, when I was a young person, it was sensitive yeah, and it became very responsive and all that sort of stuff. But the older you get, the more responsive you get. Really? And the older you get, the older, older, older you get, your skin starts to get a little bit thinner. Mm -hmm. So put all that together in oh, regards geez. to sensitivity. So I became a very much less is more person. At the end, even though at the beginning of my life, my sexual life, I was not high maintenance, but I needed a certain amount of work mm -hmm. I'm done way. to get me there. But Can you yeah. give us specifics like of your vagina and clitoris preferences and maybe tell us the arc of it as you've noticed your body change over the years? Yeah, yeah, I would be absolutely delighted to because 
because I think it's stuff that's not really well documented for sure. Once I found out I had a clitoris and I came for the very first time, it was during sex. Interestingly enough, I was really, really excited. I really wanted to have sex. He wasn't in the mood and and we went to bed and and we were spooning and i was behind him and i was like you know wriggling around and and you know trying to sort of if if not talk him into it body him into it yeah <laughs> it was no dice so i thought okay well i'll i'll roll over and go to sleep and you know try not to cry <laughs> Because <laughs> I really wanted to have sex. And nobody likes rejection at that age. So then he rolled over and we were spooning. And, and next thing he was touching me. And I was so aroused. It was next level out of my body experience aroused that I didn't quite understand what was happening. It was like I'd been horny before, but this was something that, that I didn't realize that I was now, I was already beginning a journey that definitely was going to have a happy ending. <laughs> there was, it was an inevitability because of how aroused I was to begin with. And that's something we don't really take into account is like guys or, or, or people that don't know much about women's bodies will think that it's just a genital fixated thing we've become a bit dependent on vibrators as well so Mm -hmm. we we do this rapidly Mm -hmm. and we want to do it in a quick time and and an orgasm happens so how big that orgasm is doesn't seem to be of any consequence people just seem to be wanting that orgasm to happen and then that makes them a good lover king of sex And it supposedly makes you satisfied and all this sort of stuff. So what what happened at that point, like I say, my entire, every single square inch of me was like a flame on fire. Mm. And he penetrated me from behind into my vagina and he snaked one hand around and he he started playing with my clit and it was annoying for a split second. (laughs) It was like such a, such a quick shift to my whole body it felt like my whole body was my clitoris at that moment Whoa. okay so they call it the plateau phase i call it the point of no return or you could wheel in a rhinoceros right now and i would have sex with it that's <laughs> it the point of i'm going to have an orgasm <laughs> that that moment where all bets are off this orgasm is happening but it hovered and it hovered and it scared the living crap out of me. Mm. I was floating in this precipice of what's on the other side of this? I don't know what's on the other side of this. And I didn't know how to let go until he was sort of trying to muffle my screams with a pillow. And that's that that was it. I lost completely lost control and was screaming and all that sort of stuff. And then afterwards on the come down and and looking at him and I'm like I'm pretty sure that was it because up until that point he'd be like do you think you had an orgasm and I'd be like I'm not sure maybe because I was enjoying sex and I was really enjoying his orgasm yeah and I was getting an emotional orgasm out of that yeah but 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 you know this is like no that was an all this you know and we're it was very much well 
we know we we know what to do now <laughs> and that that sort of set the tone so every time we had sex after that we would always make sure that during penetration that he was he was playing with my clit and when i was at home i went from not knowing what to do with my hands to trying to see how many orgasms I could have in a single night. Like I was really, really motivated to to work this out. Mm -hmm. As much for myself, it's this is the thing, climbing into the motivation of it. Part of it was I want to give myself pleasure, but I think the bigger part, and this is an interesting thing as a woman or female identifying person, is that I wanted to be able to respond. I wanted to be able to have an orgasm. Mm. I wanted to be that person that every time I had sex, I had an orgasm. I was always, they say, don't be goal orientated. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but once I started having orgasms, I wanted to be queen of <laughs> orgasms. I wanted to always have orgasms. So yeah, we were together all up for about a year uh-huh. and during that time, I never was comfortable masturbating in front of him. Mm. I asked him to masturbate in front of me once just to see what what that was like, you know. Yeah. And I remember feeling vaguely jealous. <laughs> oh, really? But, but interested, but vaguely jealous at the point of, you know, it was, I don't know, He's maybe it's because he went, ta-da, at the end, I don't know. <laughs> Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you are listening to this, you are probably like me and you love sex. And you also know that fantastic sex takes more than just a boner. But if that's all that's missing in your connection with your partner, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. You know, that's my favorite. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with the awkwardness that exists because physicians are not often given great guidance about how to talk about sensitive personal things like bone or softness, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. With Blue Chew, penis owners everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. And you know I love a good package. And I have to say, am I allowed to say this? It was very hot when I had a partner who I already had a good, trusting, open relationship. He'd been working on his anxiety, cutting down on screens, meditating, he quit smoking, he started exercising regular, cutting out processed foods, all of that stuff. He was just of a certain age, and I'll just say, the night that he told me he was making his package arrive, it was a very super hot extra layer of turn-on for me personally. So if it's for you, this is a super convenient resource. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com, chew it, and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. But it was really, 
it was just a wonderful journey. But I was convinced at that point in time that there was only one way for me to have an orgasm, mm -hmm. and that was if if during sex with clitoral stimulation or by myself with clitoral stimulation until the next time I met someone and then they went down on me. My 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 first partner never went down on me. So oh. yeah, I met a guy who went down on me and 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 we started mixing, you know, I I started realizing that I could have one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever orgasms before penetration. Ooh, sick. because of because of people wanting to touch me or or yeah. go down on me before penetration. So this is things that were even known in 1979 yes this is why i'm still i'm i'm kind of angry because i'm seeing out there people saying men don't know where the clitoris is i'm like sweetheart do you know where the clitoris is that's all that matters you you tell this person how to give you pleasure you know like yeah. just because i didn't know what i was doing doesn't mean you can you've got porn in front of you why don't you know how to pleasure yourself and then i realize it's because you've got porn in front of you yes it's so overwhelming there's so much information from so many different places and mm -hmm. you know even myself it's interesting because a lot of people interact with me as if i'm an expert and i'm not i'm an anecdotal curious person that primarily learns through talking to people one-on-one -on -one. Because, yeah. because for me, when I start to research, I get into overwhelm patterns and I don't know if I'm like that person or that person or that person. And for some reason, spending dozens of hours a week creating a podcast is like my way in, I think. Yeah. I want to keep actually following the thread of what you noticed over the years. Yeah. So I, um, it was kind of always the same way, full play, clitoral stipulation, intercourse, I never had an orgasm during intercourse, but I came very, very close yeah. a couple of times. I was always aware that there had to be a different way, but I just get I that this is my way. And I can't explain it except I didn't feel inadequate. I just felt that this was the way I had an orgasm. Mm. So even as a teenager, even all those years ago, if I didn't have an orgasm by the time that we'd had intercourse and he'd finished, I would say, I didn't have an orgasm that time. So they were on notice as to the next time we might have a conversation about how that might happen. Now, once or twice that led to me being dropped. Oh. Or it was a, co or it was a coincidence. I don't know. But because I spoke up, I don't know. Or if I... If it was a one-night stand, sometimes I, I, I had quite a few one-night stands in my teens that were mostly about, I like this guy. If I have sex with this guy, then we might end up together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't, as a teenager, go into one-night stands thinking this is the beginning and end of something. I always right. thought it was the beginning of something. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so... Most of the time I had an orgasm and those times that I didn't, I would go to the bathroom and masturbate or, or something in, in private or whatever. Yeah, I, did, I wasn't overly hung up about the, my process. Yeah. But I knew that there could be, you know, I was endlessly curious about other, other ways of, 
of being and and I was very, very happy if I was with someone and they wanted to go down on me. I was like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> would would yeah. you Do you feel like you could observe the frequency of people going down on you increase over the years? Like did it become more popular or did it just depend on the partner? I would say it depended on the part. It, it depended on the person mm-hmm. and, and their motivation because it didn't, if if anything, I suppose I expected it more in my 30s, mm. I, I presumed, I think, being with my first husband and that was, we we had a pattern. Most couples, I think, have a pattern. Um, we, we, we mixed it up, but there was always a sequence of events to get me to an orgasm. What was it? And so... Uh, <laughs> Lots of kissing, lots of breast fondling, lots of breast sucking. Yeah, and he would go down on me and then and then we'd have sex. So, And I would, because I was comfortable with my body, with my husband, I would masturbate during sex mm-hmm. to have an orgasm mm-hmm. during sex. Yeah, so, and, and he was really, really, really obsessed with giving me orgasms. So I, I became multiple orgasmic during my marriage. Mm. There was one time on our honeymoon when he was going down on me, but he didn't. He was everywhere around it, but didn't actually touch my um, labia or anything. Oh my god! And it, and he was and he was close to giving me analingus. He was it was a, a complete nutter tease job, and he didn't like it was my thighs, my inner thighs everywhere, and I orgasmed. Whoa. That's when I realized anticipation was enough to give me an orgasm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So that's what first planted the seed to me, understanding that. Because what I, what I didn't add to is when I had the orgasm, my first orgasm, I realized, ah, pretty sure I've been having these in my sleep. Whoa. Pretty sure. <gasps> yeah. Pretty, yeah. Pretty sure I've been having these in my sleep. So, so I knew, even though I, I had my clitoral dependence up until a certain point, I knew that eventually somehow orgasm would get easier and easier to access. And it did. And I, I became more and more into being teased. And so, like I say, at one stage, I'm like, into vibrators and 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 a lot of clitoral stimulation for a long time to give me an orgasm and try not to think of the shopping list and all yeah, the things yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you do sometimes because married sex sometimes isn't spontaneous sex mm-hmm. and for me I was sometimes having a lot of sex that wasn't my idea but I was happy to have it but I wasn't aroused to begin with right. so so I would I would have to sort of get into my head a lot to to make myself aroused and all that sort of stuff. In, because in what was, ways? With fantasies? Or? Oh, fantasizing, yeah, yeah. So to to because we had a fantastic sex life. Like it it was something we were into. But he wanted sex a lot more often than mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. So that was just the way that was. So what, can I ask what um, like some of your go to fantasies were? Like what what did you jump to? <laughs> At that age, God, in my early 20s, I was still a want-to-be exhibitionist. I wasn't an exhibitionist yet, mm-hmm. um, yes. <laughs> but I, I want a want-to-be exhibitionist. So I would fantasize about being, say, on public transport or in, in public in some way 
wearing revealing clothing or wearing a shirt that was like open yeah. and and being stared at across across the room and someone actually and knowing that they can see my my nudity under my under my clothes that sort of stuff or if i was crushing on someone mm. it, even if it was a celebrity or whatever yeah my best go to would always be replaying the anticipation of the coming together of me and that person, like the, mm. the, the, the approaching the kiss moment and, and getting up to the kiss and then rolling it back in my mind and then getting up to that point again. It's like a little porn uh, track going in my mind, but it was always a sensual thing or a, a visceral thing. It wasn't, there was nothing there that was what you'd call raunchy mm. in my mind. Yeah. So I interrupted yeah. you. Uh, you were talking about being gone down on in the context of, I think we we're still just like working our way through through your yeah, cl yeah. clitoris so over the years. Discovering, yeah, discovering that when we broke up, I'd been with him for 16 years. Wow. And totally faithful. And we we broke up. And after, gosh, it was about six weeks, I was out one night and I met someone who was a friend, someone I knew. And I was like a kid in a candy store because when I was a young person, I would maneuver my situation for sex by hanging out with someone, talking to them, being attentive, paying attention, stuff that guys do now to get laid. But women do it for attention or mm -hmm. I, I did it for attention and wanting someone to want to kiss me and want someone to want to have sex with me because I wanted someone to like me. Yeah. But when I was 35 and single and used to a diet of having sex and lots of orgasms several times a week, yeah, I was like, okay, I've got to feed the beast. <laughs> I, <laughs> the volcano needs a virgin and I was the volcano. I had to, you know, <laughs> I had to go out on the hunt. And um, so I was faced with the fact that I knew that people found me attractive because I was fit, I was 35, I understood that I overcome my ugly duckling syndrome as a, as a teenager and I was egotistical about the way I looked and all that sort of stuff. So I knew that being single at this point in my life was not about me waiting to be picked up but me yeah. picking up. Yeah. And being being the person who chose. Yeah. And that's a head trip in a way that I look back at, with positives and negatives because I wasn't very self-aware. <laughs> yeah. I just I'd come off a marriage thinking that my most powerful asset was my sexuality. The best thing about me was my sexuality. I feel that way. This this is why Do this is why we broke broke up though because I didn't feel like I was loved for who mm. I was mm -hmm. and that sort of whittled away at yeah. our relationship over the years. Um, so I was like he made a Frankenstein and here I was and I was ready to scare little children and that's an analogy for have sex with lots of people um, Yeah, because I was like a Porsche. <laughs> you know, it, it, there wasn't going to be much to – to make me want to have sex, I was I the body was primed and ready and idling, mm. and always semi aroused. Yeah, always and 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 it was like I I look back and it's a confusing thing to call it sex addiction or whatever. But 
my body was, like I say, my body was craving it. Yeah. And I was craving it from an ego point of view. I was like, okay, well, who wants to sleep with a middle-aged mother of two? Yeah, at 35, at 35, I was thinking, I don't know. I, I didn't know who I'd be attractive to. Yeah. And it was kind of like, oh, everybody's. <laughs> 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 but, but still... I put too much self-esteem in that. So I don't mm. I don't look back and go, yay, I was hot and people wanted to fuck me. I, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for myself retrospectively mm. that that I took so much ego from it. Yeah. I was gonna ask how how did having kids affect <laughs> um when I was pregnant with the first one, I was kind of like really into um myself as a mother and sex was kind of uh sacred and tentative and you know there wasn't a lot of uh stuff about it that that sort of was you know we were gentle and on all that sort of stuff it was a difficult birth so having sex after birth was like you know it was tricky and stuff it was a traumatic delivery and everything mm. but and i had my second son and i had the ideal situation of labor being quick mm. i knew what was going to happen to my body mm-hmm. And so I relaxed into it. And during the labor, at one point, I had a, a contraction that I relaxed into so much that I it, that it was actually an orgasmic contraction. I've heard stories about that. Wow. What was that like? It was like, it was interesting. Did you tell anyone? I did. Well, I definitely told my partner afterwards. Afterwards. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but at the time, I'm not even sure if he was there yet. Okay. Oh my gosh! Wow. Because <laughs> I start, I was in labour, and he'd been with me for the for the 24 hour one I had first. So mm-hmm. so he was at home. I'd been admitted the night before. I was being induced, and he was like, "All right, well, when when they put start you up, I'll be, I'll be in there, thinking we'd be at it all day." But right. he was born in four hours. Whoa. And, yeah. And um, around about, like I say, around about that two-hour mark uh, was when it happened and I was just, I was straddling a chair, I was breathing deeply, I was letting out a nice soft moan with every out-breath and, yeah. and, and when the pain would come, I would relax even more like a rag doll and moan even louder and I thought, I'm tolerating this, this is good, I, I can do this, I'm tolerating this and then I somehow tricked my body into fully relaxing enough to facilitate this this labor going well you know I, wow. I don't I don't for a minute and I would never for a minute say birth is easy no. and you know labor is orgasmic this was just a really perfect moment of zen of me being in that space and um and i felt my cervix actually open at that point um i don't know how far it opened at that point but it was a ow ow oh oh ow oh ow ow (laughs) (laughs) it was a questioning like this is hurting a lot but that's that that's an orgasm wow yeah so that also alerted me, like I already knew that the the teasing could give me an orgasm. Then I knew that something powerful like this could give me an orgasm. I really strongly questioned where my orgasm could come from. Yeah. So the first time we had sex, 
five, six weeks after he was born, Mm -hmm. we had very, very deep penetrative sex, which I didn't usually like that much, but for some reason I really wanted. After your second? After your second one? After this, after this orgasmic experience birthplace. And it was I like my legs, ovaries, shoulders, and, and all the rest of it. And it was as deep as possibly can. And this is the only true evidence I had at the time of the, the phenomenon of the cervix triggered orgasm because I wanted it deeper and deeper and I could feel wow. where where he was hitting and why, why it was giving me an orgasm. And it was it was amazing. It wasn't necessarily from then on I had those. It was it was that was a real sort of rare yeah. occurrence at yeah. the time. But when we broke up and I I was with new people, you, you go from being with someone you're really comfortable with to going with people that you you've just met. Yeah. Literally sometimes only half an hour or whatever before you've taken them home. Yeah. So me becoming really comfortable and orgasmic was very much me telling people what I needed and wanted if, you know, guiding their hand. If they weren't touching me, I'd be like grabbing a hand and placing it where it needed to be and and stuff. Warning people that I make noise. I never mm-hmm. attempt to be quiet. Great. I would just say this is who I am. And occasionally I know that that scared people off mm. because the louder I was, the scarier it might have been. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I got no idea. Um, but <laughs> yeah. this... Yeah. I, I scare people too, and I'm like, I don't know why. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health. But if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out bluechew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. But there was a person about six months after the breakup, there was a person that I felt like I had feelings for. So we were having sex fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. So because when I, at first I was like, I don't want a relationship, I don't want to fall in love. So I was deliberately having a lot of one night stands. And if I did meet someone more than once, I would make sure I would try and meet someone between times to mm-hmm. tell myself 
that I wasn't going to fall in love with that person. Uh-huh. I was, you know, I was running interference on my heart all the time by having as much sex as possible. Totally. So like I'm idling, I'm crushing. So this is like two things that give me a really high libido. I'm crushing on this guy. I've got a high libido. I'm on my way home from work on the train. It's a crowded train. I'm sitting next to the window and looking out the window and just daydreaming about sex and getting quite aroused and and like I've noticed that my breathing is there and I and I realize that um off on the distant horizon I know in my mind there is an orgasm waiting for me to go hey woo, come you know <laughs> I was really aware that my body was capable of bringing it, ha- making it happen. So I crossed my legs. I've got someone sitting next to me, right? <laughs> I've got people sitting behind me. It's a crowded train. And I, I didn't know. I was all about the science experiment. Uh-huh. I wasn't thinking this is weird. I was thinking, this is for science. I'm yeah. taking one for the team. Can I do this? Yes. Can you do this right? So I was looking out the window because I wasn't sure what my face was going to do. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm contracting my pelvic floor muscles, right? Just bringing them up mm-hmm. and relaxing them and bringing them up and relaxing them. And knowing that in the repeated process of doing that, I'm bringing that orgasm a little bit closer each time and then relax and it stays where it is and then I'm contract and then I'm bringing it a little bit closer and then relax you got to you got to bring it closer so that you don't scare it away by trying to bring it too close you know um so yeah I was I was doing all this but but at the same time I only had about five stops to do it in for the to get off the and this was cool because it gave me a sense of urgency which gave me anxiety and anxiety was something that helped. Um, so I'm looking at the window and crossing my arms. And then I started looking around with just with my eyes, not with my face. I still uh-huh. turned away to see if anybody facing my way was looking in my direction at all. And, you know, when you get in a hyper state of arousal, that you do things that you would never do yes. if you weren't aroused, all uh-huh. right? So yes. I'm sort of looking around, I'm aroused, and I'm thinking if someone made eye contact with me right now, <laughs> that would help. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I just I just remember that I was uh, maybe two stops away and I I was really tensed up and contracting all my muscles and stuff. And I think I was remaining pretty still, but when the orgasm hit, it wasn't like a massive wave of thing. It was just like, it's happening. I could feel it sort of fire up in my abdomen and 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 fueling and realized that I was shaking. So I sort of put my hand up to my mouth to sort of go, <clears throat> so that if anybody thought, what, why is this person shaking? They're like, oh, she's coughing. It's okay. Nothing to see here. This this woman isn't having an orgasm. She's she's got COVID. No, that was two. No, that was ninety five. No, so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got and I was ju- I I was wobbly need getting off the train. Yeah, 
because my legs were a bit shaky, as you do. Yeah. And um, the first thing I did when I got home was ring him up. I rang the guy up that I was seeing and I was like, guess what just happened? And told him. And he's like, oh, my God. And then we had phone sex. So, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so it was just. I was I was completely and utterly um I you asked me what my shame meter was that at that point in that in my life I guess it was around zero. Yeah. I was yeah, I was I was, you know, like I was on in it for the ride and I was in my body for the ride and, and all that. So yeah, I didn't really think too much about anything except experiencing maximum enjoyment from this amazing thing I call my flesh and blood. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Has that happened mm. again? Anything similar? Oh, that's what I forgot to say. <laughs> Once I realized that could happen, then I'm like, okay, can I make it happen in my bedroom? So I, because uh, uh, I was talking to him, like, I can do this. I've got a party trick now. I can do this. So <laughs> Um, not that I would do it at parties. It was just a, a phrase. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, but I wanted to, um, so I experimented with it and I, I've tried at that time, I tried several times over the next couple of months in different ways, almost always getting there. Wow. And if I didn't, cause what I would do would be focus on breathing, making noise, squirming around like I did when I was eight, uh, you know, even bucking my pelvis, anything to make it happen, aware of the fact that nothing was touching my body, but women's, uh, it's apparently science, women's imaginations are really, really, really adept at feeling or, or placing that vicarious reality on your body just by thinking wow. about being touched. Our body reacts like it's being touched. So I would think that someone's going down on me or, or whatever, imagining these things. And eventually I became more and more aware of the fact that my orgasm wasn't necessarily on the surface of my body. It wasn't housed inside my clitoris or my vulva or whatever. My, my orgasm was housed in that space in my pelvic region. So I don't know if you relate to that at all. Why are you? I'm thinking about your, it right now. Orgasm, because I know that you, 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 various things make it happen, but when the orgasm actually catches on, yeah, and it's inevitable, it where do you know where it's radiating from most of the time? Because I know it can it can travel once yeah. it starts, but my but radiating from me, it's in my in that pelvic region. If I had a uterus, I don't have one now, but if I had one, it, it, it would be in that space. Oh, really? Uh, I think mine, if I, I'm, I'm just, you're putting new information into my head and it's like stuff I haven't paid attention to yet. So if I just talk out of my brain right now in this moment, I feel like it usually comes <laughs> from above, not above, but like, like the top part of my pelvic bone region, like not touching my clitoris, but all the spots around it first. Like it yeah. starts there and then and then radiates out and through and up and and back. Yeah. And I've experienced yeah. now, I've now also had uh, anal orgasms. And yeah. that was so fun too. Mm -hmm. Has this changed your life? 
Um, well, it, it definitely gave me a, a couple of things. It, it gave me a sense of we don't know what the fuck we're talking about <laughs> as a society. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> also the, people don't want to fund orgasms about – people don't want to fund orgasms. <laughs> people don't want to fund research about women's bodies. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was really curious and I wanted to share the information with anyone who would listen. Yeah. But that like I say, that was a period of my life where where um I was having a lot of sex. Then I got married again for the second time, so I was in that in that marital sex space. Yeah. And motherhood happened again, and that was very, very sexy motherhood because it was coming off the back of all of it, everything I'd discovered up until then, and my then partner was attracted to the fact that I was already a mother of children, mm. and and he, we had this really cool connection. I liked I liked the way he liked me as a mother, yeah. and it gave me a sense of it's a cliche, but that goddess yeah. feeling feeling like every part of me was a, was sexual. Yes. So I actually felt pregnant and during that time and, and breastfeeding and all, all that sort of time, it stopped being just about having a baby and being maternal. It was also part of my sexual being as well. So oh I got God. more I got more into my breasts while I was lactating still wow. and that stayed with me. So so becoming more fully body engaged and breast engaged and all that sort of stuff. By the time I got to being um, single and in my 50s and, and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and online dating and having people ask me, what do you like? <laughs> uh, because they wanted to tick off their shopping list. What can I do with this woman when yeah. we meet? Yeah. And they're like, do you want anal? Do you like this? Do you like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I my head would be exploding and I'd just say, I like sex. Yes. I, li I like really like sex. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into yeah. with me. And I, I realised, and I don't say, and, and I hate that how that sounds, like it sounds a bit braggy, but I'm like, it was, a, it was kind of a half a warning. <laughs> no, I, I, I mm. relate a little bit in my own way because I don't know how to tell internet strangers here's everything I am and this is just the beginning. Yeah, and I knew that I'd, I'd been in two long relationships where sex was very important yeah. in different ways. Yeah. But because I realized after I broke up with my second husband, I did the math. And since the age of my first love to the point of that first breakup, the longest I'd been without having sex, and this includes babies and everything, and single in the middle was six weeks. Oh my gosh! Mm. So I've I've been celibate now for like nine months, and it's the longest time in my life What's that, that I've like? ever been that I've ever been celibate. Uh, <laughs> um, it's good because I know that I can do it now. There was there was a point where I thought people would say they were being celibate, and I I'd be like. How? Why? <laughs> How does that work? Why do you want to? Um, it's a lot of a lot of stuff. Like 
I know that um, your podcast and your your presence and and stuff is very much about sex positivity, but in a joyful way. There's no sort of prescribed idea of what sex is or sexuality or any anything like that. And come as you are, whatever you're into is great and all that sort of stuff. I I really love that, but. I travelled such a long and interesting and meandering journey to where I was at 53, still with a very, very strong libido. Yeah. And it was physical. It was also mental, I think, too. I was staring down the barrel at menopause and I think psychologically I was like, they're going to take my libido out mm. of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that I was like, let's, okay, let's get this party started again. I'm yeah. single. Let's have sex. But it got old quick, the, the, the dialogue that you have online with people. Yeah. And I, and I, and I'm an extremely polite and patient person. Oh. And I like, and I like to educate people. Oh. But after, after a while I, I was like, oh, this Rose, you can't be everyone's mother and tell them now, now, now you should talk to me like this. And what, yeah. you know, yes, I, yes. It's so- guys would, guys would think, okay, because you put photos up and the first thing they say is hot. Not even you're hot or just the word hot. And then a couple of minutes would pass and then you get another message. What's the matter? Don't you want to talk to me? Ew. <laughs> and all this said, there was a lot of weird, weird yeah. stuff. Occasionally um, I would meet people. We'd meet on a, a an energetic level and an intellectual level and all that sort of stuff. And I did have some nice liaisons with people, one night stands, three, three night stands or or whatever. I had entanglements uh, (laughs) and heartbreak and and all that sort of stuff. Did all the same things all over again. Emotionally did all the same things all over again. Mm -hmm. But before we started talking, you you said you wanted to know what I meant by kink being a pop construct. That that was literally my next question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even know myself except to say that my frame of reference as a young person was sex happened in relationships. So that was something that I thought about for like the first half of my life. So pleasure-based sex and me really, I was quite um, mercenary in my 30s going out and, and wanting to see how many people I could have sex with in a week at some stages. You know, I was really sort of and ticking people off my bucket list, different nationalities, skin tones, all that sort of stuff. I was like, and I'm not proud of it at all. That's just, uh, that's who, like I say, that's who I was then or who I became having been married to someone who was very superficial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I will qualify that because I look back and I go, oh, my God. I definitely, because I'm so not superficial now. Yeah. And I I cry when anybody's is superficial. I get really upset. My heart hurts. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Kinky construct. Yeah. So I felt like I felt very arrogant and assertively knowing of anybody who wants to have sex with me is going to have a wonderful time because I'm going to give them a wonderful time and because I'm going to have a wonderful time. And if I'd learned anything about having sex with men in my life, the more wonderful time the woman is having, 
the better time they have because I, I don't get it when, when women say men don't care about pleasure. Actually, they might not know how to give it to you, but yes. they definitely care because their ego depends on yes. being the king of sex. Yes. yes. <laughs> they want to be like, I give you this orgasm and, it, and it, you know, like, the oh, wow, you had this. Have you ever had that kind of <laughs> orgasm with anybody else? No, Was never. Was that the best Amazing. orgasm yeah. you ever had? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow, I've never seen that. Yeah. And yeah. and when I started having sex with people who were porn influenced or, or whatever, mm. and to see the look on their face after we have sex or even during or when we were kissing and to have them sort of be like, okay, oh, okay, oh, okay, you know, like really sort of registering that I was really, really, really into it. And that's sad because it means that these 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old and 30-something-year-olds, if they're with someone and they're truly recognising that when they're with someone is having an absolutely fantastic time, and they haven't experienced that before. They kind of take it personally, maybe. I don't know. Or they think older women, they they I, I got a lot of sex with young men because of cougar porn and all that sort yeah, yeah, of stuff. Yeah. I realized this PR machine happened before I even knew I wanted to be <laughs> casual sex. I knew that it yeah. was like, you know, there was a uh, it was like uh, coming attractions was out there everywhere previewing what I was supposed to be and guys would slide into my DMs thinking I was a cardboard cutout of something mm. that they wanted to project the fantasy onto and I was always having to disabuse them of it and they'd mm. say, I've always wanted to be with an older woman and I would question them on it and I would be like, why? Yeah. Oh, because they're, uh, they'd, you know, pull my chain and say, oh, they're smart, they're interesting, they know what they want, all this sort of stuff or they really know how to enjoy themselves. And I would say to them, I've pretty much always known how do I enjoy myself. So don't think that the women of a certain age that you're having sex with don't necessarily know how to enjoy themselves. Maybe you need to ask more questions yes. or something. I don't know. I feel like I was this myth that I had to keep busting. Yeah. Yes, a hundred percent. The more you have sex, the more your body attunes to these things and and learns to like the things that happen to it and then invents new ways to like things. Mm -hmm. Like it's amazing. Um, and I'm still now still discovering, even on my own, things that are sensations that are happening that I'm still going, okay, huh, my body's doing that now. <laughs> you know, so and that's just me in my own little laboratory in my bedroom so can you tell us a couple examples <laughs> i guess because of the less is more my motus operandi in masturbation um is i i get myself in the mood for masturbation whereas once upon a time i would just masturbate mm -hmm. and you know do the the thing where all right I, and I'd want to get it over and done with pretty quickly and stuff. So, you know, it was like a frustration um, mm. expression sort of thing. Um, but now I'm sort of like I, I pleasure myself more. I graze my nipples with my fingernails mm. outside my clothes. 
and just sort of I, I wake I wake my body up before I decide to to masturbate. And I found out that not only are hands great, they're also the perfect shape. So if you you're slightly cupping your hand and place it over your mons, it it fits so nice and snug. So while I'm not always having hands-free orgasms, I am sometimes I'll I will do the the breathing and the humming and stuff while I've got my hand placed mm-hmm. on my vulva. And I notice now that the vestibule, are you aware of your body parts? You've the vestibule, the entrance to your vagina is becoming more sensitive. Mm-hmm. So I might I might move my fingers around the entrance to my vagina to get off and while just having my hand on my whole vulva and and or massage my the my pelvic bone or massage yeah. my pelvic bone with the heel of my hand. Love that. That's, I'll massage that's where my orgasm feeling starts. It's like there. Yeah. That's that's where it begins for me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the nervous the nerve endings there. Um sometimes I'll even massage the, the space between my navel and that space. Mm. So yeah. recently, while I was trying to put all this together, um, because we mentioned that I do a podcast, I did a podcast on orgasm and I had to really analyze the procedure of how this happened and somehow piece it together in a cohesive narrative in a podcast. So I told a story of this is what life was like in the seventies. And I kind of, it's kind of linear, but I also juxtaposed it with, this is what research was like. This is what we were told. So I'm trying to myth bust and all this sort of stuff and say that I thought that my body behaved a certain way until it, it told me otherwise. But I, if someone had told me way back when I was clitoral dependent and that was the only way I could have an orgasm, if someone said that clitoris wasn't the absolute part of orgasm, I would have just said, you don't know what you're talking about. I would have been very arrogant because my body told me this. Yeah. But my body's been telling me all sorts of things ever since, <laughs> as, as we've just discovered. Yeah. And, I, and I, I came upon them by accident, so the information wasn't there. So I really wanted to do a podcast that was entertaining as well as informative and take them on this journey so that I could lead them to the discovery that I only just made, and that's the vagus nervous system connection to orgasm. Yes. All right? Uh-huh. So that... So that massaging that I'm doing is connecting the vagus nervous system with that part of me. So I'm also aware of sound. I studied in my research bonobos and and chimpanzees and macaques. And one thing we have in common with them is is the vocalization. Mm. And one thing I realized is that if I'm struggling if I'm with a partner and I'm struggling to have an orgasm and I'm right on the verge of it and just won't get there I have to just lose my shit I have to I have to yell Mm. and yelling will bring the orgasm I have have to be loud so from that I deduced that my vocalization had something to do with it so I pieced together that the vagus nervous system from the face, from the eyes, from the nose, from the mouth, inside the mouth, the lips, the throat, every part of you can, it is a channel. It's like, you know how you've got a telephone and you've got a can at one end 
uh, sorry, telephone when you make one. Yeah, yeah, the string telephone, string kid telephone. What is that called? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a can at one end and, and your vagina's at the other. And the string between it is the vagus nervous system, okay? So I discovered now when I masturbate, it's all very much about making noise. My neighbours probably think I have a party when I'm masturbating because okay. I do make noise. I make different sounds. I grunt. I make raspberries through my lips. I tilt my head back to form a perfect sort of art uh, passageway for the air and everything to yeah. circulate to yeah. facilitate this thing. And I've discovered it's like I've, I've, I've become the puppet master of my orgasm by using breathing and vocalization and now when when i touch myself it's it's to cradle it's to cradle my vulva it's to it's to hold hold it while i send the orgasm backwards and forwards (laughs) literally just listening to you talk i'm like okay i gotta try this i gotta try like it it actually i find myself getting excited to explore with myself and i felt overall off for these last few months because of stress and sadness and the world is on fire in so many ways and and that yeah it, i've it, only i've oh, i've yes. given i've given one workshop and that was a group workshop but it was just talking about breathing and yeah. sound but it's also about don't rush and i, I was talking about all oh, this is about foreplay don't let people put pressure on you to rush and all that sort of stuff but i also did a hand massage i got the got the women present to massage each other's hands Mm. to talk about consent but also i said think about your palm of your hand think about your fingertips think about what you're doing but also think about your core think about your your sexual energy wherever you have it in in your vagina in your in your vulva wherever it is think about it in both places at once and to me that's how i can help people visualize and physicalize this. It's an energy. When I talk to you and I think about it, it's there. It's always there. The energy of an orgasm is always there sitting in my, sitting in my pelvic region, sitting in my cradle. It's there. So it's like, if I want to masturbate now, it's not because I'm crushing on anyone and I'm horny. It's because, oh, it's been a week or it's been two weeks and the energy's there and it'd do me good. It's good for my health. I'm very holistic about it. I don't sort of, I never used to look at a lot of porn back in the day, but I mm-hmm. would read sexy stories. Mm-hmm. I like to, yeah. that was my, yeah. So I don't need it much in the way of props. Yeah. And I think it's also, I'm celibate now. So I'm out of the habit of crushing on, I haven't yeah. crushed on anyone for a while. So I'm just about making love to myself. I hug myself mm. and, and I stroke my own face and, and all that sort of stuff and, and stimulate oxytocin. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm thinking about just this. I, lo- I love my body. Three children later, yeah. I'm 59 in November. Mm. I love my body and I love how amazing it is and how powerful it is. And I think about now... If I was to have someone in my life, I'd have to prepare them for the fact that I can be a a, a, a bit much. Mm. <laughs> I'm very I'm very intense, but I don't I I don't want the fifty cent tour when I have sex. Yes. I want I want to go on the day trip. Yes. Mm. 
on that note, can you share what are your hopes for your sexual self, for your sexual life unfolding in the future? Um, I guess I don't. Mm. I guess I don't. Um, like I, sure, everyone still has the bucket list. Like, so I've had the experience of going to a swingers club. I've had, you know, during a marriage, I've had, I've had the experience of, um, like I'm bisexual and, um, I didn't get the opportunity to really, really experience, I hate the words, proper sex, actual Mm -hmm. sex, full, you know, orgasms with a woman until like a few years ago that finally happened and again it was like with a friend and it was something that I was very conscious of I'm finally getting to experience this so it wasn't a relationship thing it wasn't a romantic thing so if I have a bucket list I guess I would like to experience having a a relationship with a woman but I don't know how that's going to happen yeah I'm not online dating anymore I've sworn off it it's just it's Not rough. That thing. I'm, yeah. um, I'm holding out but, till post-COVID now. <laughs> I'm just like, all right. Yeah, but but I don't, whatever it is, I don't need it. I have everything yeah. I have. Yeah. I have everything I want. Sexually, I don't feel like there's anything I haven't experienced. Or if I have, if I had, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I haven't squirted to my knowledge. Okay. And when I say that, not in the stereotypical e- ejaculation oh, yeah. of fluid exiting my vagina I've I've been in situations where I'm always wet and very wet and all that and then other times when I've been absolutely ridiculously wet so yeah possibly yeah like I say I I have no problem one way or another sort of thinking whether or not I'm faulty I'm aware of my g-spot I you know I I can have g-spot orgasms and all that a spot u spot all of this stuff you know I'm aware of what I can do, um, nipple orgasms and, and, you know, just, just, I want unconditional love and companionship Mm. now. I, and sex is a no brainer Yeah. because whoever, whoever I have, whoever I have a relationship with, the sex will be a beautiful part of that. Yeah. But, but not, it'll be the cherry on the icing of the cake. (laughs) <laughs> not the cake, not the icing. It'll just be the cherry on top. What is mm. your favorite thing about your sexual self? Oh, um, my curiosity. And I, I like that this energy is there. I know that I've been with few, not not a lot, but few people, particularly women, just been in their vicinity and and felt like I know what this is because I know when people have been in my vicinity, they've said something about the energy or whatever they pick up, up from me and I, I can't be objective about that. Mm. I just think, oh, yeah, you're just saying that, you know. But, um, you know, you'll be at a party and you're slow dancing with a fr- your best friend even and you just feel this wonderful stuff emanating and it's sex but it's also earthiness and it's – beauty and it's knowledge and it's wisdom and it's vulnerability and it's pain and it's 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 all there it's all radiating but it's a physical sensation you have when you come into contact with that person um so i i know that at various times i've possibly emanated energy that wasn't uh 
are giving and and outwardly comforting and and stuff um, uh, that that my energy might impose and 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 bleed into people in ways that they didn't particularly want, you know, like mm. I was a bit needy or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think the mo the thing that I love most about um, what I've got going on now is just how much um, my energy is an is in a state of awareness and connect with another human being if I'm blessed with another human being coming into my life and um, to connect it is about that person and me in that energetic bubble of you know fantastic um, uh, hum human primal stuff that's yeah. ancient and powerful and it's 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 part of our animal being it's you know forget about our intellect get let's get into who we are as organisms oh, fuck yeah <laughs> fuck yeah yeah so i want to ask you if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sexual advice what age would you pick and what would you say oh okay i'll have a think about this one um I, I can't really put an age on it, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I can. I, I, I guess I would say 16. And I would say just because someone likes you doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. Hmm. So I think I was sometimes a little bit turned off by people who liked me, like uh, who I didn't deem were cool or, or whatever. I never gave people... The chance to peel the onion. One thing I did develop as I as I got older was this thirst for peeling the onion and and discovering the mystery of of who people are and and what what they've been through and what their life's like and and what they think about things and and how creative are they? You like really get to know people beyond. So as as a young person, we we have a skin deep impression of everybody around us, or I did. Um, so yeah, look, look deeper, I guess, look deeper, look deeper at myself and realize how lucky people are to be on that part of the journey with you, with me, wherever I am on the journey, whether I'm sad, happy, whatever, I don't, I, I, yeah, I have such self-esteem now or self-worth, I think every, anyone can have self-esteem. I think I've got loads of self-esteem, but self-worth now. So my main stories to myself would be around self-worth because, I, like I say, I, ha I had, there was abuse and all sorts of stuff young in, in my young life. And I, I do want to talk about that eventually on my podcast, but at the moment I'm just sort of saying this is what my experience has taught me get that out of the way, yeah. get people interested in listening and then go, and while we're on the subject, let's talk about self-esteem, let's talk about self-worth, you know. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Do you want to ask me a sex question? I guess I guess my question to you is um, how much at the time do you have an awareness of where you're at 
like um, on your journey? Like, do you feel like um, this is the place I'm at and I'm expanding, I'm expanding from this? Or do you feel like you're going to move through this space into something? Not given what I've just said to you, mm, but mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. your own mind, like, yeah. do you do you have um, uh, ideas about what you're looking for in discovering more about your sexuality? Yes, I have a lot of ideas in the form of questions, and I have so much confusion. Truly, still after talking to nearly a hundred people deep dive one-on-ones and then talking to hundreds more in passing, I still in this moment have so much confusion, sexual and, and interpersonal in many ways. Mm. And I feel that I now have the ability to gain awareness, but what I'm learning about myself, and this is sexually, but also in regular life is that I have to have something on my radar in in order to be able to notice it because of the amount of sensory information that I can experience and take in. And I can say, looking back, I can see my level of desire has always been so high and there's so much enthusiasm and energy and I can see how the different forms of confusion over the years has led me to all of these explorations and some wonderful experiences and some very mediocre experiences. And I, I do feel that now I'm in this space of, well, I think I used to feel this person in my twenties, desperate looking for partnership, like really wanting to have this kind of traditional lifestyle that, that I grew up with, with my parents. And now I have let go of that. Mm. And so I'm in this new space of, I don't know. I I just realized I don't know how old you are. I'm 31. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, and so it's my experience online dating recently for the first time going on Tinder in April because I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to have another chance of meeting someone for several months if I don't Mm. try this. Mm. And realizing that I am at once so much more experienced than a lot of people in terms of communicating about sex or asking about it or talking about it, but then also like really not good at being able to drop into the person. And I am not patient and I Mm. don't have additional teaching energy. (laughs) Like, you know, like I'm the opposite of you in those ways. Yeah. The amount of time that I would talk to people just, uh, and particularly some young people would say they wanted to have sex with me and I would actually spend time talking them out of it. Yes. (laughs) But but only because I'm like, how much how much um, experience have you had? And they'd be like, oh, not that much. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be the person to give you the idea of what it is because I'm not what it is. Exactly. I'm some I'm something else entirely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I would talk them out of it. Um. And then I I talk to other people and they they give me a sense of where they're at. And I'd feel comfortable yeah. with them. And um, I got to say, um, one time I had a one night, uh, no, actually it was a, a friends with benefits thing with a guy that I met. And he was like 30 years younger. So I was like 53, so he's 23, something like that. And 
he decided after about third or fourth time we were together, um, it was a couple of weeks or something down the track, he contacted me to say he's decided he's ready for a relationship. So he thought he should let me know that he didn't want to have sex with me anymore and he hoped that that was okay. And I gave him so many props and so I, you know, I was like, I'm so proud of you. Do you realise, do, re do you have any idea how wonderful and special you are? Yeah. A, for doing that anyway. Yeah. But B, thinking that you had to break it to me. Yeah. At my age. <laughs> That I didn't want to have sex with you for, you know, a long, you know, a prolonged period. Like, of course, I only thought it was a temporary thing. So, yeah, it was like how sweet and beautiful and, and, and I'm like there is that's, – that's one thing that I really had to learn in my life and mm -hmm. is to take everybody as, you know, to reset my coordinates every time. I'd have alarm bells go off. You talk to people and you think this, people's, this person's an idiot and whatever, but I always – came at it with an open mind yes, and let that person, like, let the red flags come up. Try not to preempt them. But, you know. That's, I'm still trying to learn that to varying degrees of success. Oh, well, it's some. It, it's the thing is I still was surprised. I was a lot of the time I was, I would have someone over and it, I, I knew I only wanted it to be the ones and they were really just a warm prop. They were just someone mm -hmm. to, for me to be with. And occasionally, though, I, be, because I am who I am, if anybody was open to connecting with me, they would they would see it there in my face. Yeah. If they weren't open to connecting with me, they wouldn't. But I was always, I can't not. Yeah. I can't I can't not be with someone and look into their eyes and, and feel that I'm trying to engage or, you know, in that moment it's, you know, Particularly yes. during orgasm, I love to have yes. eye contact. Me yeah. too. So, yes, yeah. that's one of the best things. And I've definitely freaked people out with eye contact. Yeah. My first boyfriend was just like, close your eyes when we kiss. Stop staring at me when we're kissing. Like, because he would like get freaked out and see that my eyes were open. And I was like, but I yeah. like looking at you. And so then yeah. we came to a, well, a, an agreement where I could do it sometimes. Rose Cooper, thank you mm -hmm. so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Wyo. It's been an absolute privilege and um yeah lovely humans thank you for listening if you appreciate the work that i put into this podcast i would love it if you took the time to leave us five stars and a nice review wherever you get your podcast especially spotify since last year's troll attack on our ratings is still affecting our ability to be found via search <laughs> i do love getting to know you and hearing your stories and meeting you lovely humans in real life and remember if you want to collaborate Apply to be a guest or leave us a single story voice memo via xstoriespodcast.com or sexstoriespodcast.com. Sex stories are always going to be my favorite, but now I also have question lists for love, friendship, dating, relationships, marriage, divorce, secrets, and so much more so that we can learn about connection through each other's experiences. I fucking love getting your emails and voice memos and receiving thoughtful noodle messages. It truly is hearing from you that fuels this work for me. And if you want to go deeper with me, get to know me, and support this podcast in meaningful, concrete ways, find me on Patreon, OnlyFans, FetLife, Venmo, Cash App, and all social media platforms at Wiley, or work with me privately for photo and video shoots, relationship support, creative breakthrough sessions, and retreats. Wiley.com slash links is where you can find the list of all the ways to play with me, and the link is in the description below. 
Thank you for joining me to spread ripples of love, to co-create a world where taking care of each other is the norm. Thank you for spoiling and inspiring me with your stories and your support. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and remember to share stories in the name of lovely human connection. 